Hello world and welcome to the Overtone Warp Zone. This podcast is for people who enjoy games, love music, and want to know more about how their favorite songs work. In season one, we're taking a look at musical concepts found in pieces from Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. I'm Dan Bergman, and let's get started. The Mario universe doesn't often delve into deep or complex storylines, with the exception of the RPGs, I suppose. Usually, the regular fare is that a princess has been captured by the nefarious Bowser, and it's up to the mustachioed plumber, sometimes with the help of a dinosaur, a water gun, star person, animated hat, or even a second greener mustachioed plumber, to fight the boss and save the princess. Not so with the advent of Super Mario Galaxy and its most intriguing new character, Rosalina. This intergalactic traveler seems to be quite a powerful figure, as well as mysterious. You should watch Game Theory's video on why Rosalina is the child of Peach and Luigi from an alternate galaxy. While not much is explicitly known about her, Rosalina's multifaceted backstory is revealed slowly throughout the game, just like how the hub world's main theme evolves as the game progresses. In this episode, instead of starting with the Smash Ultimate remix, let's start with the music from the original game, Super Mario Galaxy. While most of the game was composed by first-time Mario composer Mahito Yokota, Four of the tracks were composed by longtime Mario composer Koji Kondo. We'll listen to three of those tracks now, starting with Rosalina in the Observatory 1. This super sparse version of Rosalina in the Observatory is the first version you hear. It features just a solo flute, vibraphone, harp, cello, and some kind of starry synth. That's because most of the Comet Observatory, which serves as the hub world for the different levels of this game, is powered down, only allowing access to some of its locations. Mario's goal is to acquire 70 Power Stars or Grand Stars from the different galaxies available to him so that their spaceship can build enough strength to travel to the center of the universe, defeat Bowser, and save Princess Peach. In the process of finding more stars, more sections of the observatory become accessible, such as the gate, terrace, fountain, and kitchen, which open up access to more galaxies, meaning more stars, and so on. Once you've made a little progress, this is the next version of the song you'll hear. Thank you. 
instrumentation has been replaced by a chamber, string, orchestra, and harp. Things are starting to get fleshed out. That was Rosalina in the Observatory 2. And the final piece, once the observatory has been totally powered, is called, you guessed it, Rosalina in the Observatory 3. The entire orchestra is in on the production for this version. That solo flute comes back with a lot of personality, almost like it's one of the Lumas dancing around. Alright, clearly this is a piece that defines Rosalina, but in this state it doesn't really work with the fighting game. Let's see how remixer Manami Kiyota handled a more upbeat version when he arranged this song for Smash for Wii U. faithful to the original. Kyoto added a lot more percussion like snare drum and castanets, as well as bass guitar to help the music groove a little better. I think groove is pretty important in a fighting game. There's also another theme here that we haven't heard before. It goes like this.
This is quoting another song from the Mario Galaxy soundtrack, this time written by Mahito Yokota. This song is simply called Luma. Fitting because Rosalina doesn't appear without her baby star counterparts in Super Smash Bros., so the themes have to be together. Here's what the original Luma sounded like. If you thought Rosalina's song wasn't fitting for a fighting game, Luma's song is even less so. This music most notably plays during segments when Mario overhears Rosalina reading her storybook to the Lumas. This is where we discover the cryptic backstory of Rosalina and the Lumas, and it's slowly unlocked throughout the course of the game. Essentially, the story follows Rosalina as a child, who finds an abandoned Luma on what is presumably Earth. I use that in big quotation marks because is anything in the Mario universe really on Earth? Anyway, together they fix up the Luma's spaceship so they can fly back out into the universe to search for the Luma's mama. Along the way, the two rely on each other for survival, and they encounter a host of Lumas who see Rosalina as a mother figure. With some hesitation, but in the end, full resolution, Rosalina is determined to be the mother figure for all these new children of hers, constructing a home on a comet that turns into the Comet Observatory in which Mario Galaxy takes place. However, tragically, you discover that all along, Rosalina is experiencing the exact same things her Lumas are experiencing. Life without a mother. We discover that her mother is sleeping under the tree on her home planet. Rosalina is understandably sad at the passing of her mother, but the Lumas give her comfort and a purpose in her life. If she can't have a mother, she can at least make sure others do. It's curious then that she uses Lumas as dispensable projectiles in Smash Bros, but that's a discussion for another time. I posit that the style of music used to portray Rosalina in this game series is extremely fitting for a number of reasons. Let's delve into this genre together, shall we? When you hear the word waltz, you might think of a style of dance. The dance and the music of waltz are of course woven together through history and converge and diverge at different places. The dance first grew from peasant folk dances in the late 16th century from such European areas as Bohemia, Austria, and Bavaria. Here's a sick burn from Michel de Montaigne that he wrote about the waltz in 1580. The vigorous peasant dancer, following an instinctive knowledge of the weight of fall, uses his surplus energy to press all his strength into the proper beat of the bar, thus intensifying his personal enjoyment in dancing. Youch! The nobility looked down on this dance because of how visceral it was. Grabbing your partner, dancing cheek to cheek, twirling around, 
Heaven forbid. Although, there is record of some upper-class people dancing to boring minuets and then later sneaking away to dance the waltz with their servants. Over time, of course, the elitists got over their stuck-upness and joined in the fun, somewhere in the late 18th century. Some places say that this is when the stomping steps of the waltz turned into more of a gliding step. Now, I'm not much of a dancer, but looking at waltz today, it looks very regal and proper, courteous and noble, flowy and spinny, and, when done by the professionals, seemingly effortless. It should be noted that waltz composers like Franz Schubert made waltzes without any pretense of it being art music. Somewhere in the mid-19th century, composers like Frederick Chopin composed serious waltz music. That is, a more cerebral version suited to performance by an ensemble of musicians only. As far as the music that accompanies a waltz, here are some typical defining characteristics. The music is in triple meter, often 3-4 time, which in and of itself sounds a little more bouncy than 4-4 time. Here's an example of a little chord progression in 4-4 time, and here's the same example in 3-4 time. Harmonically, each measure of music has one chord, where the accompaniment plays the root of the chord on the downbeat, and the upper notes play the second and third beats. Often, the practice of performers, especially for Viennese waltzes, is to slightly anticipate the second beat of the waltz, which ends up making the third beat sound as if it's arriving late. This further accentuates the buoyancy one feels while listening to and dancing to waltz music. No, seriously, I'll prove it. Here's an example where I don't do anything to the beat. And here's an example where we slightly anticipate the second beat, making the third beat sound a little late. See? More buoyant! That's all there is to it, really. You're now ready to go out and compose your own waltzes. Of course, there is more nuance to the topic, but generally speaking, this is what you need to classify a piece of music as a waltz. What I'm more interested in is identifying why a waltz is the perfect piece of music to represent Rosalina and her lumas. Rosalina is a serious character. She takes both her cosmic and maternal duties seriously, and it seems to be quite a lot for this bittersweet character to bear. That said, she is not above having fun. She tells her story through a children's book, and she is playful in regards to her lumas. In Mario Galaxy, at least. I don't think the way she treats him in Smash Bros. counts as playful. The waltz has become something serious since being adopted by nobility. It is used in ballroom settings and is highly choreographed. It's elegant and beautiful, like Rosalina. She's got an even flowier dress than all the other female Mario characters. She even literally floats around in the air. Does she even have feet? And as a tangential reason as to why waltz fits in this game, Mario's new signature attack move, with the help of Aluma, is to literally spin at them. The waltz is all about spinny dance moves. I rest my case. Before we end this episode, if you thought that this is the only time that waltz appears in Mario, think again. One of the first songs ever composed for Mario is a waltz, and it goes like this.
Koji Kondo's water theme for the original Nintendo is in 3-4 time. It's got the right accompaniment feel. This fits the waltz bill. And now let's listen to a second theme. This is Koji Kondo's water theme for Super Mario World. This itself is an arrangement of the Super Mario World main theme, which is arranged for many of the different worlds in the game. Why is it that water levels have been associated with waltz in Mario games? Consider how the controls change for the player when they're underwater. Mario games control very tight. He's fast and he jumps satisfyingly. When he goes underwater, his moves are much slower, much more floaty. Kind of like Waltz. Genre can convey a great deal about a character in video games. Whether it's the context in which that genre is used in the real world, or whether there is some inherent feature of that genre that shines a light on a character's personality or game feel, it's another way composers can convey information to the player. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast or suggestions of a song or music topic. Leaving a rating or review on your podcasting platform is a great way to share that with me and helps Overtone Warp Zone gain some exposure. You can stay up to date on podcast news by visiting the website overtonewarpzone.com. If you found some enjoyment from this podcast and want to give your support, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash overtonewarpzone. Until next time, keep playing. Keep playing.